Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? From John chapter 20, 1 through 10. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other cloths, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you. No. So, uh, <clears throat> when you leave today, you're going to get two cards. Oh, I'm repeating, my, uh, repeating it. We want you to take the two cards and give them to two different family groups, two different people, invite them to be a part of Easter with us. Thank you. Well, uh, we get to discover the love of God. We get to because God chose to intersect with you and with me and the world. That's the truth. Uh, It's not the other way around that we intersected with God, but that he chose to intersect his life with my life, your life. And so for the next few weeks, we will be taking a look at the resurrection people, uh, just a few of the people, and the wonderful liberation Jesus gave to those who would choose to follow him in life and in love, in practice, and in training to be just like him. So let me ask a question. What is a linchpin? What is a linchpin? Uh, For those of us who work on a farm or have some uh, trailer, tractor type of uh, introduction, we know what a linchpin is because if you leave the linchpin out, you have an accident in waiting. Uh, it is what, uh, you, you know, may, you may drop the pin through the hitch, but you have to have the linchpin to make sure it's secure. Uh, a few years ago, while Kathy and I were driving a RV trailer, uh, we didn't lose the hitch pin, but we understood what the, the dangers of what it would be like if you lost a hitch pin and the trailer came apart. We actually had the chains all hooked up. It's the craziest thing. We came through an intersection where it crested just enough at the right time in the wrong way to unhook our trailer from our truck and have it slide, bam, right into us. Linchpins are vital. They're essential. They're necessary. And when we talk about them in terms of 
the church and theology. The resurrection is essential. So that's, that is a, a type of linchpin. If you were to pull that linchpin, that's a wheel, by the way. If you pull that linchpin, you would not go too far down the road before the wheel would just go, and you'd be dragging it, not pulling it. It's a whole different thing. But the resurrection is essential, is essential. In Mark chapter 16, uh, Mark, Mark writes Peter's version of what transpired in John chapter 20. It says this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of Mary, of Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the next day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Great question because these stones are big and they needed several people that were very strong. They'd done, they'd done their uh, leg workouts for the, the time. But when they looked up as they were walking, they saw the stone, which was very large and had been rolled away. They entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Uh, they, they were coming to see Jesus who had been laid in the grave, and he was dead. But here they found somebody who was setting, and he was alive. Verse 6 says, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. Resurrection is a linchpin in the theology or the, the belief we have as Christians. It's essential for us. I mean, essential. The cross is crucial we need to have the deliverance from our sins, but the, the victory over the grave just is the catalytic last thing or the zenith, if you will, probably not the catalytic, but the zenith of whole, all of what Jesus did for us. Because we need to be delivered from sin so we have a relationship, but we need to be also be one like God or like Jesus who then is able to be with God, to transcend this time and space continuum that we're in. I mean, Paul says it this way. Uh, check out this verse. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Friends, uh, we need to have Christ raised from the dead. It is vitally important to our faith, uh, vitally important to our belief vitally important to our structure i mean paul goes on to say that his preaching if he would if all the preaching that they had done if he had not been raised it's just futile you might as well just live the way you want to live you might as well do what you want to do i mean if christ is not raised your faith your trust in jesus your trust in god is futile i mean it's vitally important. In Colossians 2.15, Paul put it another way, speaking about the spectacle of the resurrection that it was. He said, having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them 
by the cross and the devil thought that he had defeated Jesus when he nailed him to the cross. When, when Christ went to the cross, I'm sure that the evil one, all evil powers, thought that it was over. But it wasn't over. By any stretch of the imagination, this is the, this is the upside down kingdom. Is surrender is victory. When Christ rose from the dead, he stripped the demonic powers, he stripped the devil of any authority, of any honor, of any, anything over the top of us. So it was early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So as we've already heard, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, and, the, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where we put him. That Christ rose from the dead, this display of power, a spectacle of the enemy who th- thought he could take us into the grave and leave us is undone. But Christ, because of his great love for us, has grabbed us from the jaws of death. He grabbed us from our sin and he gave us his life as was prayed. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is our hope. It is on it that we live and let ourselves be life, life is brought to us. Without it, this is in vain. There's no reason to gather There's no reason to sing. There's no reason to live for God. But with it, we have everything. The incredible thing of this story, while the resurrection is the linchpin, is that Mary had a front row seat to the whole situation. Can you believe it? And not only did she have a front row seat to the resurrection, she gets what maybe some would want. Not everybody. An angel encounter. Can you believe that? This, this, though, is what we're going to take a look at today. This was no fluke. I mean, she didn't do this by accident. It didn't happen just by circumstance. It happened on purpose. Uh, I don't know. Maybe in your spaces and places where you work, you analyze your failures, right? Why did that go bad? If you're playing basketball or football, what broke down? All of those things. I mean, that's a common pathway to doing things. I mean, some of you have been trained. This is the only way you've been trained. That If something goes bad and the only thing you analyze are the failures that you do or have happened in your workplace. Something tragic transpires. But can I just say that there may be another pathway to success than only studying our failures. Studying our failures is one of the ways. Uh, Assessing those failures. But there's another uh, way to to do it. How about assessing our successes? Uh, Those people that have shown us that they can break through in places, maybe we should study them. In fact, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at Mary. Uh, Mary has just this wonderful story of breakthrough that I think sometimes uh, may be missed when we do a reading through scripture. Um, 
So let me just kind of seed this a little bit deeper. For those of you who are parents uh, and in other places, I'm just going to use one example. You can, you can move it into other areas. Have you ever thought about kids in grades? What if your kid, what if your child brought home a D in a subject, uh, which for most of us, that wouldn't probably be the most acceptable grade uh, for us, but yeah, you know. But in other subjects, they have Bs. Our first response is this, uh, in this idea of analyzing failure over assessing success, is to hammer down on why in the world did you get a D? What were you thinking? Right? I mean, I get it. Those are toxic words, right? But what if you took another angle? What if you asked the question, hmm, what, why'd you get a B? What happened in that class? What, what is the subject about? And you began to learn about the situation and the success of the situation instead of assessing only the failure. I mean, you might have to do both, and I would agree there. But when we assess success, we can sometimes find uh, the clues that lead us to helping those pla- in those places where failure has been. That applies in our workplaces, in our homes, even in our hobbies, where we find success, maybe we need to spend a few more minutes reflecting, thinking about why it was a success to help our failures in other places. So here in our passage, Mary comes face to face with an angel. This is quite a momentous circumstance for her. I mean, Really, for anybody, right? I mean, that's why I said earlier, some people want to be visited by angels. Other people are not so warm to it, right? How did she get here? Let me, let me ask, where did Mary come from? What was her beginning? In Luke chapter 8 is where we find her. And we read that Jesus traveled about from town to town, town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, the disciples were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Chazza, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them, the 12, Jesus, out of their own means. So what we hear is that Jesus had the 12, and they were with him, but really there was this cadre of women who were undergirding and supporting the needs of Jesus and the 12. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, so that the, the message and the kingdom could be preached widely. Uh, so Mary and Joanna and Susanna, they were all part of this, this group of people who were part of key players of the kingdom. I, I would even go so far to say that they were disciples of Jesus. Uh, not named one of the 12, but they were as influential as important as the 12 because of the way and the roles that they played. You know, this is the interesting thing about, uh, about Jesus. 
It's not just about Luke's writing about women often, but it's also about Jesus himself. He raised the stature of women to the place of disciple next to his other 12 on a regular basis, commending the behavior and uh, just the way that he leaned into them on a regular basis. We read this over and over again in Luke and other passages Back to Mary, seven demons. How many would think that one's enough? But seven, that's a lot. And Jesus freed her to be, to be. Not to be somebody else's or anything else, to be who he originally designed her to be. That is God's desire all the way. And then also with the other women. I mean, it is an incredible, incredible story. So Mary has this encounter with an angel in the, at the empty tomb where Jesus was laid. Again, we have to repeat, this was not an accident that she was there. It was not a series of unpracticed patterns as if there's anything like that, right? This was her way of life. This was her way of living, she lived from being liberated to Jesus and his way and the kingdom's way beyond that. Jesus made her whole, and she couldn't do anything else. So Mark's gospel is written from Peter's account. John's is written from John's account. Mary states, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. I mean, we don't know where they put them. We can, what we can do now, what would prepare us for an Easter encounter? I mean, what would prepare us, you and I, for an Easter encounter like she had? What would, what would do that? I think it's this. Once we recognize that Jesus has hold us, made us whole, has delivered us, freed us, we can take on some patterns from her life. Uh, the pattern from her life. She lived gratitude. Uh, she didn't just talk about gratitude. She lived gratitude. I mean, seven demons. Do you know that seven is a complete number in Scripture? I mean, throughout Scripture, seven is a complete number. Why she had seven, I don't know. I mean, it's a complete number. Uh, musical scale, seven days of the week, seven colors in the rainbow, this idea of completely, totally, and she was totally given over to the evil one, maybe. I don't know. All this kingdom of darkness, and yet the Bible, and the Bible says that the devil is a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. He wants to take people out, and she, he, the devil, had Mary out, but Jesus, Jesus comes in and touches her, speaks to her, changes her very existence. And out of this, she doesn't change just a little bit of her life. She changes every part of her life. Scripture says she used her substance to support Jesus' ministry. 
You know, grateful people always pivot to seek to be a blessing in this situation. They always seek to give what has been so freely given to them. And she was grateful. In fact, as I understand it, uh, you know, her name was not Mary Magdalene. She was Mary from Magdalene, this town that, uh, as I understand, was pretty uh, fairly rich when it comes to cloth and dyes, if I remember right. And because she was, she was from this area, more than likely she had business dealings in this, and so she pivoted this very lucrative way of living that most people in the area were, were you know, you know uh, using commerce through to help Jesus out, and she gave it all to him. She was the one leper who came back after being healed by Jesus, willing to sacrifice what had been, what she had been given to him. I mean, she was there at the cross, watching Jesus die and wondering, even on Sabbath, how can I show honor to him? How can I show him my gratitude? And she, with the other women, collected spices to take care of Jesus. And there they are on their way. She was resilient. Going through something like what she went through, being demon-possessed, being at her darkest would be easy to be defined by that terminology. Uh, even, even being freed, it would be easy. Hey, do you remember Mary, the, you know, the demon one? I mean, her whole life had up to that point had been defined by that and that exclusively. Maybe you and I both know of people who have been brought through some pretty difficult places and spaces. And yet, while they've been brought through, brought out, drawn out, they still define themselves by that very existence. They still think of themselves as, as the outsider, the marginalized. Whatever term that they might want to put on it, I, I used to be, I'm, I'm depressed. No, you're not depressed anymore. I used to worry. No, you're not worried anymore. You're free. They define themselves by those terms. Maybe this is for you. If God heals your and my limp, right, we're not going to pretend that we have one anymore. And Mary didn't pretend that she had one anymore. She lived free from that possession, from that terminology, from that moniker that may, maybe her own town's friends may have put on her at that time. She's giving herself to life, and freely so, not jaded or distracted by the past. I'm reminded of uh, one of my professors in seminary, Dr. David Siemens, wrote a book, Healing of Damaged Emotions. Inside that book, he made it very, very clear that uh, those, who, those in the Bibles who we see as victors do not see themselves as victims, so you can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. And she knew that. She knew if I have Jesus, then I'm no longer 
beleaguered by the, the, the victim mentality, this idea of wearing a moniker of something that's already been healed and whole. Going back to that and playing it up as if it's a real thing when it's a healed thing. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, they, they stood up for God. They got thrown in the fiery furnace. And scripture says they didn't smell like the smoke of the fire. That's clear. They didn't wear what had just happened to them. They wore the victory of being, of being the Lord's anointed and the Lord's sent ones to stand up to speak up for him. I pray that God will help us to be a people that have actually, that actually hear our story and know that we're free. Not that we're laboring from something that we've been freed from until. I mean, she didn't have that. Uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Moses you know the name Moses means drawn out? Now, I mean, it could very easily, Moses, uh, they could have changed his name and said he was put in. He was put into the water, right? He was put into situations. He was put into pharaohs. I mean, that's kind of a, a negative thing. But no, Moses means he was drawn out. He was pulled out of the situation by God. Given, given a name that is incredible, but he was pulled out. I mean, He's placed in a river uh, for him to live. And, and then someone who attempted to kill him was attempting to kill him in that moment of being put in is the daughter who takes care of him. I mean, is that crazy? I mean, isn't that God? And he doesn't live into that. He lives into the word of being drawn out. I am God's. My question is, are you allowing are you allowing the name that you have in your head or that other people may, you may think other people think about you be that negative moniker of the past? I mean, I've been drawn out. I have been redeemed. I've been called by his name. I am his child. I'm an apple of his eye. I mean, all of these passages of scripture are there for us to rewrite, to remind, and realign us to the God's goodness that he's poured into us. And Mary knew this. Mary knew this. So my friends, don't take your identity from what you've been through. Uh, Take your identity from what you're called to. It's vastly different. And lastly, about Mary... She lived the way. She lived the way. Uh, you have to kind of read through the scripture, or read through the, uh, in between the lines in the passage, but you realize from the time that the, she's been delivered from the seven demons that she begins to live into the life and the practice of the way of Jesus. She begins to support. She begins to encourage. She, she's like the, uh, like the leader, it seems, going to the tomb. She lived the way, uh, fully surrendered, fully devoted, fully his to do. I think you could almost use these passages of scripture. One from 1 Corinthians 4, 16, where Paul says to those in Corinthians, therefore I urge you to to imitate me. Ah, 
Could you imitate Mary? Uh, taking her heart and her surrendered spirit and follow Jesus? Uh, whoever the writer of Hebrews was, he says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience will inherit what has been promised. Uh, not those who have gone their own way. Not those who wear the old flesh moniker, but actually take hold of the faith that Jesus has liberated them to. Hmm. So what do we do? If, if Mary has encountered the resurrection and the resurrecting Jesus, what can we do? Well, if you're a fellow follower in the room, I want to just ask you a few questions. These are for you to respond back to God, to kind of like, hmm, uh, assess success. Also, I think equally, probably in the same way, kind of, ah, where, where can I grow? So let me ask you, where's your gratitude quotient? I'm reminded of Jesus entering uh, the room of Simon uh, into the house of Simon where Simon does not uh, wash his feet, which is a common thing, or didn't have his servants wash his feet. It was a common thing. And yet a woman breaks through and washes his feet, washes him over. And Jesus in that, in that context says, for those who have been forgiven much, right, they will, they will respond out of great gratitude. Maybe, maybe we need to take some time to reflect on how much we've been forgiven, how much we've been given, how much the Lord loves us and has cherished us. If our grateful quotient, if, we're, if gratitude is on the edge, we'll give all for Jesus. Over and over again in scripture, this is what we see. The 12, all of them, in one way or another lost their lives because they were grateful for Jesus's mark on their lives. The question is, will you, will I? Let me ask this. Maybe you have tapes that are playing in your head from the past. So do you, do you live into what God has done in you? I mean, what he's pulled you from, do you live into that? Or do you live into the past? Do you let him shackle you to something that has been? And thirdly, are you a model of someone practicing the way? Now, this one's a little difficult, I get it. Are you becoming more like Jesus? So if somebody were to follow you for a day, what would they see? Now, I'm not asking you about the things you don't know about Jesus. I'm asking you the things about you, what you do know because what I believe is we probably know more, about, know more about what Jesus has taught and shared with us than we actually put into practice. So are you, are you a model of somebody practicing the way? Could somebody say, I can imitate Steve. I can imitate Mark or Paul as they follow Jesus. 
I think those become the questions for those of us who are fellow followers this morning. Yet for those of us who have yet to make Jesus the journey, the path we're going to be on, maybe you're desiring a touch. Uh, Maybe you're desiring a healing like Mary received. Uh, This deliverance from the evil you know resides within from the sin that separates you from your heavenly father. Uh, The resurrecting power, the ongoing, ever-living, present power of God that is constantly changing us into his likeness. If that's you this morning, I invite you to pray with me in a few moments. Mary's model of, of living into the resurrection is the model for us. Uh, The one who encounters Jesus and gives all. The one who lives in gratitude, who's resilient, living beyond what was to what is and what is becoming. The one who models the way for others to live after so that they can experience the fruit and the freedom of Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that you have, uh, you, have you continue to re- revive us through your resurrecting power and presence as we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, realizing and recognizing that, uh, Father, you are good and you are great that the empty tomb stands there as a reminder of the power you have. The power in our lives and the power in the world in which you wish to give. Lord, thank you for that. This morning as we, as we consider Mary living out and giving out of her resources, we recognize that she was grateful Lord, for those of us who are struggling to be grateful for what you have given to us today, Lord, help us to see your goodness. Lord, help us to see what you have done, what you are doing, and Father, help us to see the light where you're showing us where to go. Father, help us to be a people who lead others in practicing the way of Jesus. They sense the love, the mercy, and the grace. Friend, maybe this morning you have yet to be touched by Jesus, to follow Jesus this morning, to allow him to heal you, to make you whole, to allow you to see the world in a way that is revealing something new always and good. If that's you this morning, just pray this prayer. Count it an invitation to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me for my sins. I thank you for the empty tomb because of the victory over the sins and the empty tomb 
I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.